You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. Mary, welcome to Real Faith Stories. It's great to have you on the program. Oh, thank you, Brian. I'm, I'm so excited to be here and just really looking forward to the conversation and, and sharing stories together. It's going to be awesome. I'd love to start with where you grew up and where you went to college and then the amazing different things you've done in your life that's led up to the Tribal app, which is uh, phenomenal. So why don't we start there? I was born in Ohio. I'm just a Midwest girl, have never lived elsewhere. Grew up really in, in the Chicago suburbs mm-hmm. and uh, really have spent my life here. Went to college in Indiana. So I've hit all the the corn and Midwest um, <laughs> lifestyle. Yeah, I really have a, a heart for the Midwest. So love this area. Any siblings growing up? Yeah, I have an identical twin sister. And I think that's part of... Part of my like go get them thing. I always had my best friend with me. It was like this instant confidence builder or booster. I could step into any situation and really have my best friend there. And I think kind of grew up thinking we could do anything, you know? So I have a twin and then I have a younger sister also. And all three of us together, we were ended up at the same university and just, just had a blast together, really encouraging each other and spurn each other on. So tell me about your salvation experience, please. I would say I'm born and raised even inside a a loving Christian family. My mom and dad both met Jesus at uh, integral stage in their life. They had just had twin girls and were just trying to hang on, you know, had started. My dad was an attorney here in Chicago and they both, you know, he was on the career path. My mom tells stories how they had one car and my dad would pull in the driveway at night. My mom would pass off the twins and be like, I'm going to the grocery. And I just had to get out of the house. But in that process, there was a pastor across the street. And so she would be out with these twin girls trying to get some fresh air. And every day they would end up at the bottom of the driveway talking. And he really led her to Christ. And then a year later, my dad, I think had just seen the change in my mom and was like, I need that. And he mm. accepted Christ. And so I grew up really, I think at a young age, knowing and having a relationship with Jesus. So my mom tells the story. We were driving past the big Methodist church where we attended and my sister and I were in the back seat and we're like, that's where Jesus lives. And my mom was, you know, stopped and was like, no, Jesus actually lives in your heart. And so at five, got to know that fact that Jesus lives in our hearts. So you went to Purdue University with your twin sister and your younger sister, right? Yes. Uh-huh. What did you get your degree in there? Kind of crazy story. I did end up running cross country and track for Purdue, which was awesome. Just Big Ten sports and athletics and really fell kind of in love with nutrition and performance. And so ended up studying nutrition and wellness. At that time, to really have a career in that, you needed to go on and become a registered dietitian. So I went that route. But the job path led me to a job in a hospital. It was really different than I think I envisioned and hoped. And so just began that road as a dietitian working in inner city Chicago in a hospital, taking care of people that were having tube feedings and Hmm. and really were unconscious. It wasn't as much wellness and nutrition, really more taking care of people that were in 
you know, had a condition. It wasn't as preventative as I was hoping. Okay. So something shifted inside and you felt led to get involved in the commodities trading business, right? (laughs) Yeah. Explain what happened there, please. Yeah, that's awesome. I think even being led to that is a bit of a reach in the sense that I did not know the board of trade existed. In my mind, I grew up in Chicago. It was like a scene from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. That's all <laughs> I knew of the board of trade. I had no idea what happened there. I didn't even know what a commodity was. And this was after college. So I did not want to stay in the hospital setting with nutrition. So I applied to grad school at the University of Chicago, got in, enrolled in the fall. But this was like spring. And I was, I knew I needed just something temporary. So I had a friend and he was like, come down to the board of trade and get a job. They pay you cash. They're open from seven to two. It's really fun. It's easy. And so I went down there. He got me a job like right away. But my job was like this really lowly, it's called a runner. That's really the position. My job was to pick up paper from a broker, like had an order on it and take it to a desk. And the desk would literally timestamp it, put the order in. I'd go back, pick up another paper. And then it was really a mundane, like, pick up the paper, drop off the paper. Another another exciting aspect of my job was to sneak in food for the brokers. So <laughs> they'd give me like an order and they'd be like, hey, I want two egg McMuffins, you know, an orange juice. And I would literally have to hide the egg McMuffins in my socks and like, you know, <laughs> sneak them into the floor. And it was, it was so exciting. So yeah, so that was my job. But you had great prep being on the track team to be a runner. There we go. That's why I was made for it. I was there made it is. for a runner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, is, that was a draw. They called me a runner. The second I got down on the floor, I fell in love with it. I did. I fell in love with the rush and the adrenaline. Honestly, where else in the world? They, they would say a billion dollars exchanged hands every day on the floor of the Board of Trade. You stand down there and it's just a sea of people and all the walls are full of tickers and moving markets. And so instantly I did, I knew I'm like, I want to be down here. I want to do this. So I found a broker that was working in a pit. They called them pits. And that's where different commodities were traded. Back in the day, it was like face to face. He hired me right away. And I still was a runner for him, but I would stand there and ask questions in some downtime. I'd be like, what is that market? And why does that trade one way when another market's trading another way? I just started kind of picking his brain And he really did take me under his wing and he would slowly teach me. And even the lingo, you know, a bid is buying and offer is selling and some of those things. And so within like two or three months, I set a goal by the end of the year, I was going to be in that pit trading. Back in the day, you had to sit and take an exam. And I did that. And I borrowed some money from my parents and I leased a seat in January 1 of 2000. Do you remember the whole Y2K? Like we all thought the world was going to end. That was my first day trading. And and no one knew what was going to happen with financial markets. And so I stood in that pit and I remember my hand shaking and I'm like, I'll buy one. That was back in the day where you'd like card up your trade. I'll sell one. And I just stood there very slowly, trade one lock. And that's, I think, such a great example of like, I don't have to step in there and trade a hundred. I just want to do one. Mm -hmm. Yes, that was my board of trade story. And I just, I loved it. I steadily grew my size and my position. And I was the only woman in that pit. The Lord has put me here and I'm going to stand here and do it. The commodities trading, you've been doing that now for 20 years, correct? Yes. And in the meantime, you've gotten involved in some other ventures. For example, you're into real estate investing. 
You used to be a co-owner of a full-service salon and spa and retail spot. How did those come into fruition in your life as well? I love that question. I think just being at the Board of Trade and being able to start my own business, in a sense, really did give me vision. It doesn't matter that I'm a woman. It doesn't matter that I don't know that area. I think I can do it. If the Lord's putting it on my heart, I can do it. Let me dig into that just for a moment. Where did that come from, that thought, I can do anything? Definitely some of my upbringing. My mom, when we were in junior high, had this moment with the Lord, and the Lord's like, I've called you pastor. She tells the story. It's awesome. We were at a Methodist church where it was a reverend. It wasn't a pastor. Like Whoever who was leading the church was the minister or the reverend. And mm-hmm. the Lord had a specific moment with my mom where he said, I've called you pastor. She took that, and she actually applied to Trinity Evangelical Seminary mm-hmm. and got in and started taking classes. Like She even was early on was like, I want to know Hebrew. Like I want to be able to read the Bible in its original language and then Greek and kept going. And then as we started having some more independence and leaving the house, she would take more classes and she ended up getting her MDiv and graduating the same year my twin and I graduated high school. So I think just even seeing her have this piece of like, just to say, okay, the Lord is calling me to this, so I'm going to pursue it. And Mm -hmm. she found so much joy in it. So having a twin And a younger sister, and I think just us together was almost this, I say, bubble or cushion where we really did think we can accomplish anything. We can do it if the Lord's calling us to it. It really did have to be a calling. And I think that's a very consistent piece in my life. And we'll probably get there. But even with tribal, like it was a very distinct calling. I felt like the Lord put it on my heart. And I'm like, I have to see this through, you know? So it was modeled in front of you by your mother. For sure. Yes. The Lord put something on her heart and she's dug into it and she was clearly passionate about it. Yeah, 100% she did. And and my father too, my dad had the really distinct kind of business call and he was an attorney and he was successful in that. And then my mom had this ministry call and they both together modeled it so well that you can do both pieces. And that's something I've really walked out. Every business that I've attempted or tackled has to have this ministry piece. Like there's not a a separation for me. Like, well, I put my business hat on today mm-hmm. and tomorrow I'm going to, it's church. I'm going to put my ministry hat on. There is no segregation for me in my mind. And it's this dual mandate that, you know, you do both. You can do both really well and do them together. So It's who you are. Yes. Well, back to the question. Had to take a side, uh, side ride here on that because it's fascinating how people come up with these inner beliefs that they can do anything, for example. So, commodities trader, and now I mentioned you do real estate investing. You were a co-owner of a full-service salon and spa and retail space. Yes. How did those things come on your radar? What happened there? Yeah, and this is what I do love about the Lord, and even taking a few minutes and, and just really plugging in every day and listening. Like I actually mm. even try to start my day really quiet. One of my favorite Psalms in the message version says that every morning I lay the pieces of my life on your altar and I wait for fire to descend. Oh, that's good. It's Psalm 5 in the message. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah. It's an awesome like, kind of translation of that verse. Like I'm going to lay the pieces of my life on your altar and wait for mm. your fire to descend. And so I think I've taken every idea that way. So the the commodity trading was really fueling our finances in a sense. And I knew it wasn't something I could just bury. It was something I really needed to continue 
there's something beautiful about being able to start a business and fund a business and really see other lives blessed in it. And so had the commodity thing up and running. And then for the salon and spa, I had this idea. I had met a friend who was just amazing at doing hair and makeup and really came behind her and was like, what if we just start? And all my ideas do start really small. Like my husband, every time now I have an idea, he's like, oh man, I know, I know it's coming. <laughs> so it was like, we're like, what if we just open a small salon and, and spawn, just really be able to bless people. There is something about getting your hair done, right? And walking out and just feeling like taken care of and loved and beautiful, you know? And so that was really our goal. We'll start really small. And then we're like, and what if we add a small line of clothing so they could shop while they're getting their hair done? And so, and it just took off from there. My twin sister and I called it Mia Sorella, which means my sister in Italian. My maiden name is Velada. So we have Italian roots. I would say. They used to call us a lot of Velada. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> <laughs> and so we just you know, dove in there and we really did want it to be a place where people were really loved and felt like you're shopping with your sister, or you're getting your hair done with your sister. And so, and it really took off. We opened it in a suburb up here of Chicago where I lived. And it was just really fun to see it actually change the downtown and the community. And some of the things that we did really sparked community in, in the downtown area. When we came in, it was 2008. We had just seen this big recession and there was so many vacant storefronts in the downtown area. And we're like, this is where we feel called. We want to change the landscape of the downtown. So we built this beautiful salon and spa and put in some racks of clothing and we were open for five years and it was awesome. We just tackled so much and, and did so many things. And by the time we left, all the storefronts in downtown were full. <laughs> so it was really fun. The point I want to circle back on is the ideas have started small and you've got these promptings over the years that you felt from the Lord. So how do you personally experience God's promptings in your life? I love that question. Usually it's in those stiller or quieter moments and it will just be this idea on my heart. I'll sit with the Lord in it. I'll process with him a bit. Well, what does this look like? There's usually some excitement around it it makes me come alive. Like I feel the Holy Spirit on it. It's, it's kind of hard to explain, but it's something that is life-giving. There are instances, even in, in the last few years, where it gets hard. Hardness isn't a reason not to do it. Hardness is just, I think, what God develops in us and allows us to push through and develops our character through. That's a huge point. Many people feel that if they get an idea from the Lord, it's going to be smooth sailing. Nothing could be further from the truth, I found, in many ways. Do you feel that's accurate? It's so accurate, Brian. One of my favorite early, in the last four years, early days again with Tribal, was this Psalm 107. I spent a ton of time in the Psalms. Psalm 107, and again, it's the message version. It talks about these faraway ports, and it says, some of us set sail for faraway ports. Like, we have these ships we set sail for faraway ports to do business in it. The word business is in that verse. and it's But it says out at sea, we encounter storms and we're tossed and we're turned in the waves. And then we cry out to God, it says, and we see God in action and he, he stills the storms. It doesn't mean we're not supposed to set sail for those faraway ports to do our business. It just means there will be storms. Like there will be, we will be tossed and we will be turned. 
if I can continue just to cry out to the Lord in it, I know, I know that storm will be calmed and he will lead the way. His will will be done. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of the truth in Hebrews that without faith, it's impossible to please him. So why would God give you an idea and just make it a nothing burger, so to speak, (laughs) to get it done? Yes. Because the faith is what he continually brings to the forefront of our lives so we can exercise it so we can please him. Yes. I love that. That is the antithesis of how we'd like to operate in this world. Our flesh doesn't like it. Right. (laughs) Right? That's so true. We want it to be done. We want to sit back and be like, and look at, there it is. We birthed that baby without any pain and, you know, right? Yeah. So, yeah. That's that's a great point. And then you also got into real estate investing years ago, Mm -hmm. right? So was that kind of a prompting too? How did that happen? I'm curious. That was definitely uh, prompting. My brother-in-law lives in Oklahoma with his wife, Oklahoma City. He's actually kind of a genius in that sense of like understanding land and understanding even, I think, shifts in where growth could happen. And he kind of came up with the idea and he's like, what if we buy these bigger tracts of raw land and He's like, I'll come in and clear them and prep them and and divide them. And, and that way people can come in and maybe own 10 acres and they don't have to buy the whole 120. And again, like having that opportunity, I feel like God brings some opportunities to us and some start with my husband and I is like, this is a great idea. But that one really, I think, kind of came into our lap. And again, we just felt the Holy Spirit on it and just the opportunity to partner with him and kind of finance a bit of his dreams, right? His yeah. his goals in life. And so that was really exciting too. How do you test these promptings? You said you get the sense that you've got this life in this idea. It makes you come alive. And then you just sit with the idea for a while. Yep. How do you test a prompting to say, you know, I'm going to take this one off the table. This is not from God even though I felt it was earlier. Have you ever experienced that? Yeah, I have. And that's been definitely a bit of a learning process too, of of when to say, no, I am very much a like possibility person, like that could work and this could be awesome. And I think having my husband, having a partner is really good. He's almost a complete opposite of me in many, many senses. He's, I'm a very fast mover and I'm like, we got to do this now. And he's like, very contemplative and is so wise in those ways, which is awesome. And the Lord's been so faithful, even to the point of waking my husband up in the middle of the night and speaking to his heart about things. And so a lot of times I will begin to pursue the idea and again, pray about it and ask the Lord to shut the door. Like I Mm -hmm. I do feel like the Lord's really faithful. You know, even if it's an idea I'm super passionate about the beginning, Either that wanes a bit or I see the circumstances in there that might not work. And, but that's definitely been a hard process for me. I've had, I've had even up to a situation where I've written a check and put it in the mail and the Lord waking me up in the morning and, and me knowing in my heart, Hey, that wasn't for you to be a part of or invest in and, and having to call and be like, I'm so sorry. I did not talk to the Lord enough about this. A lot of times there's are those instances where the Lord will actually distinctly say to my heart, you didn't ask me about that one and that wasn't, you know, for you. And so it's definitely a learning process, but I do feel like the Lord is so faithful in it where I just get this burning in my heart of knowing like that was a really hard instance to have to call and say, Hey, I I wasn't supposed to be, I'm not supposed to be an investor in this one. And can you send back the check? And just trusting that the Lord, if I'm faithful to walk out what he's saying to me, Mm -hmm. the Lord will take care of the rest. Yeah. That's a great point. If you're faithful to do what he's placed on your heart, he'll course correct if it's necessary, 
Yes, for sure. Yeah. Let's talk about tribal. Explain what that is, please, first. Yeah, tribal is really, it's a platform. It's a streaming music app and also a YouTube channel. But our hope is to be the megaphone for spontaneous worship moments, like live worship moments. So we don't necessarily own them and we're not creating them all, but our hope is to be the megaphone for them and a spotlight for them. So you curate these moments, correct? Yes, we do. We we help find them. We help discover them. We help aggregate them. We playlist them. We highlight them. I would say the most outward-facing iteration of Tribal is our app, which is available on the Apple Store and Google Play and downloadable for your mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so really our goal is that you can jump on there, hit play, and know that there are some really fresh, amazing worship moments, and you're you're going to encounter the Lord in it. Oh, and there are. Yeah, oh, good. Since you and I first spoke, I've been listening to tribal YouTube videos and watching them. I have been overwhelmed with some of these Love moments. It. And by the way, just for the listener's sake, tribal is spelled T-R-I-B-L. Very simple. How did Tribal come on your radar? Explain the backstory there, please. Yeah. As you know, I'm a commodity trader. And and around 2005, things shifted away from standing in the physical pit to electronic. I slowly shifted from showing up in the pits at the Board of Trade to my home office. And I have a laptop kind of next to my big trading platform. And on that laptop, I would stream worship a lot of the day. And this was even kind of pre-YouTube. Everything was just kind of slowly shifting to streaming. I would stream a lot at Bethel or International House of Prayer. Some of those movements that were really international prayer had 24 hours of broadcast worship. And I would literally just kind of put it in my office and it would be in the background. And same with Bethel, they were starting to stream their Sunday mornings and it always seemed to be about minute 42 or minute 45. And there would be this like moment, that's the best way I can describe it as a moment that's unscripted. It felt like off the page. It wasn't words that were written in front of them singing, they were really truly encountering the Lord. They were really truly being led by the Holy Spirit to sing either scripture or just words. And those words were just bringing so much life. Mm -hmm. This is part of my story. And I've actually admitted this fully to everybody, but we would audio hijack those moments and share them with my my friends here, my community here. We'd Dropbox them to each other and be like, you have to hear, you know, minute 43 (laughs) of Sunday's set because there's this moment that Amanda Cook singing, as we behold him, we become like him. Boy, I'd sit in those moments over and over and over again and let that reality of as I behold him, I become like him, you know, and just and sit in that. Wow. In that process, I was like, and this is how my brain works. I was like, what if there was an app? Like, what if there was a way that we could use and play these moments and not pirate them, but monetize them or at least <laughs> license them properly? What if there was an app? Like I knew technology was going that way. We were seeing YouTube happening. We were seeing a shift, even the way we consume worship in a sense onto YouTube. And that was where my brain goes. It's like, how do we harness technology as apps are becoming way more available and more readily accessible on our phones? We get to take these moments with us in our pocket. iTunes led the way many years ago with the thousand songs in your pocket, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. How do we actually utilize and harness technology um, to use that. It started with a little idea again. Exactly. Just had this idea, what if there was an app for that, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. So what happened next? I kind of put that out there to some friends and a friend of a friend, you know, again, it's kind of how this happens, connected me 
to someone that had some music background. And then that friend sent, literally just sent a random email to him. He responded. And then he's like, you have to meet Brock Shinen, who you've had Brock on the show. He's amazing. And he is. Brock has just this, I think, aptitude for business and starting business and understanding ideas and understands intellectual property like no one else. And we had a, our first phone call and he's like, well, have you heard of Spotify? And I was like, no, this is different. This is the stuff that wouldn't be on Spotify. And he's like, oh, I, I like it. And so just started down that road and just started continuing to kind of build the idea and really get a bit more technical on, well, how could this happen? At the same time, there was this little band. I say little band in Atlanta. They used to call themselves a bunch of dudes with guitars in their living room, recording songs and putting them out there. And they were very unproduced and very raw, but they were beginning to go viral. There was this one little song called Good, Good Father. Mm -hmm. And it was literally written over a girl in the corner of a room that needed to hear that night that he is a good, good father. And so that song was getting some momentum. And I literally did call House Fires and I was like, do you guys want to come up for a worship night and come worship in our little church in the suburbs of Chicago? And they came, like all seven of them came, which is amazing, you know? Yeah. That night, I sat next to Tony Brown, who had just co-written Good Good Father with Pat. And I just started sharing this idea, like of these moments that are happening and how do we aggregate them? And his first text to me the next day was, let's unite the tribes. And I was like, that's it. Like, this has to be a place where we get to unite these songs that are being birthed in little communities and put a megaphone up for them, that they have this platform to live and breathe and people to get on and hit play and know they're going to encounter the Lord. I love this. Where did it go from that worship moment at the church in Chicago? What happened next? Like I said, Tony had texted me that and I was like, I knew in my spirit, I'm like, that, this is it. This is it. This is the idea. He has the same vision and he has the kind of artist side of things. And so we just started talking every week. Him and a few of friends would fly up to Chicago and we would worship in my living room, like literally worship in my living room one night. The next day, spend four hours at a coffee shop working through details, you know? And so that was just a lot of 2016. And then 2017, we got a developer and we started really working on the nitty gritty. We were really tackling two sides. We were tackling the creative and like the moment side and how do we connect with the United Pursuits and some of these smaller tribes that were having those moments mm -hmm. and bring them on board and license the content. And then we had the app part. How do we build something that honestly, Brian has to compete with Spotify and Apple? That's the temperature of like the market we were trying to like step into. Obviously we were going to be different with the content. There was this expectation of it can't be glitchy and it has to work well. We were funding it privately with our own money. And so we were just trying to tackle every phase as we could. Well, this is no small mountain to climb when it comes to the licensing piece, right? Correct. Has there been a moment or two since you started this where you said, I can't take another step here. I'm overwhelmed, Lord. Many, many steps. So I think many of those, I, I still run, I ran in college and a lot of mornings I'll go run and I'll listen to podcasts. I'll listen to sermons, I'll, I'll worship and it's like almost like mile six, I hit the stoplight just about coming to my house. And I'm so many times I'm in tears, like, oh Lord, I, I can't do this. Like I'm, mm. I'm not equipped. I am really not equipped, but it's never been 
to this desperation, like I'm done. It's always been like this desperation of Lord, I need you to show up today. I need you to just continue to lead and guide this thing and help me nurture this thing. So we've had to, you're right. The licensing has probably been the biggest hurdle. When you think about a song, you have, you know, some songs have four or five different writers on them and then they have a different artist performing it. And then you have a different person owning the song. And so you have to account to each one of those and you have to license from each one. And so it's been exciting and challenging. I've really done a deep dive. I say it kind of get, get an MBA from just doing it, you know, and really learning, learning that piece. Maybe even a PhD. That's right. There we go. I don't know what it, any of those letters, it's been crazy. That's right. You launched Tribal officially about a year ago, correct? Yeah. We had about 500 beta testers in May of 2019. And I just felt like the Lord said, okay, it's time, push the button. That was probably one of the hardest moments too, to know, is it time to push the button? Like, yeah. shouldn't we do one more fix and, and one more feature and just continuing to keep it alive with funding it and saying, okay, let's spend this money here and do this one last week. I don't know if you've heard the term MVP, minimal viable product. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, we have it. Let's just do it. In May, I just gathered some family and friends and we pushed the button and we were alive. And it is the weirdest feeling because all of a sudden you're like, oh, we're out there. Like we're no longer behind this test flight private wall. We're out there. When you went live, Mary, did that mean you went live with the app in the app store? We did. We pushed live to both Apple and Android. That was exciting. We gave it a go. When was that? When did you do the launch? Yeah, that was May of 19. May of 2019. Yes. How many people have downloaded that app now? We're just about to 100,000 downloads. I'm I'm watching every day. We're like 99.99, you know, we're just, we're so, so close. I remember telling my kids, like, if we get to 5,000 downloads, we're going to have a party. Literally within like a couple months, we were at 10,000 and my kids were like, what happened to the party? And I was like, oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, I did say that, didn't I? It was fun. And now you're almost at 100,000. Wow. Yes. What's the monetization process look like for this? Again, we're just taking really slow. We really wanted to nurture our audience. And the majority of the money that comes in from the monthly subscription goes back out to pay the artists and those who own the song. So we wanted to pick a number that was quite as painful as like a $9.99 like Spotify or even be like, well, I have Spotify. Do I need Tribal? We really wanted it to kind of be in addition to. Mm -hmm. So we picked $5.99. And so there's a monthly subscription. There's also a complete free version. Like the app is free. There's a small banner ad just to help monetize a bit with some ads, again, to pay those people who own the songs and really the artists, this is their living, which is awesome. I'm so thankful we get to give, you know, 70% of what comes into those royalty pools and we keep 30 to pay our servers. Like that's, it's, Mm -hmm. you know, just, just a small portion. We pay back to those who own the songs and we have the free version and we have our YouTube channel, which has been amazing too. We had 125 subscribers last year about this time and we're at like 540,000 tuning into YouTube, which is awesome. You're over half a million on YouTube. Wow. Yeah. In a year. That's incredible. Yeah. It's been fun. What is the Lord speaking to you about the future of tribal? We're in this phase right now where we are trying to grow. We're stepping out and we're going to continue to start to get behind artists and continue to put them in rooms together and put up mics 
and just let them worship. I really do feel like, and this is something that was put on my heart again, is to really not let worship become a thing. And I, I say that in like air quotes. The main goal is to connect people with the heart of the Lord. Like that for me is the main goal, that there is life in these moments, that it really can shift atmospheres, it can shift our heart. And so how do I get that in everyone's home? Like, how do we get that in homes and in cars and on walks? And while we're studying, for me, just trying to really almost keep that purity piece of worship and not really becoming like an industry. Again, that dual focus of like keeping the business alive and even helping support the artists. But in the same time, really, our priority is the Holy Spirit on these moments and and really curating them and, and serving them up where you know you can get on and hit play and encounter the Lord. So as I look back over our conversation, the theme that I'm seeing emerge here very simply is when it comes to ideas, you owe it to the Lord and your future self to sit with those ideas, see if there's life in them, and then take a step. Do something. Yes, I love that, Brian. That's that's exactly it. The Lord is so faithful. He's so faithful. He won't let you fall. He won't. like. And even if there is a fall, it's probably developing something in you for what he has ahead. I really do feel that so strongly that I think if we prioritize and continue to put our heart on that altar and wait for his fire to fall, that he will. He is, he is so faithful to open doors, to close doors, just knowing like it's really up to him. He is a God of the impossible. Mm. Open-handed, walking it out, putting it on the altar, letting him do it. Thank you for sharing all of that. How can people get this app? What's the best way to get it? We're on the app store. If you just search up Tribal, like you said, T-R-I-B-L, or on Google Play, there's a free version and there's a, a subscriber version, but give it a whirl on the free version and just see see how, you, how it's sitting with you. And if you love it, we'd love for you to subscribe, but again, no pressure on that. And then we also have the YouTube channel. We're continuing to add video content there. The app, just to reiterate, is audio only, and it's really more playlist-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a piece playlist, which is doing amazing right now, and a Be Still, and curated into even some instrumental songs. And we have a, a work-from-home playlist, things like that, that really trying to tackle. Sounds great. Well, as we finish up here, I'd like to ask you to pray for our listeners, please. Yeah, love that. Lord, yeah, we we love you. We're so thankful that you are active and alive in our lives, that you speak to our hearts through ideas and dreams and visions and also just promptings and excitement. So I just I do a pray over every heart and ear listening this morning that we're just able to continue to put those pieces of our lives on your altar. We know that you're so faithful to show up with your fire. And so asking for that over each one of just the lives listening this morning. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity to share our faith and our stories and um, that you you have a story unfolding in everyone's lives. So I pray blessing as they walk those out in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Mary, thank you for being on the show. It was great to talk with you. Thank you, Brian. I loved it. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.